Welcome to the revolution, the peaceful revolution, the health revolution. This is a very exciting time to be alive. Yes, you're listening to an Inform Life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. And I am your host, Bernadette Pager. Um, I want to get a few things out of the way. I want to say, as I usually do, that the views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of our wonderful radio station, KKNW or CHD TV. These are just our opinions, just wrangling with information. This is what life is all about. Just exploring issues, talking things over, letting them go from your brain to your belly so you can make informed decisions that make sense for you. Uh, your family, your community. Um, also want to say not giving medical or le legal advice. We're just talking things all over. So never construe anything to, that we say to think that we're trying to tell you what to do. We're just giving you some information, uh, planting some seeds. Um, did I mention my name? I always forget if I've done that. Well, uh, if not, I'll say it again. I'm Bernadette Pager. And uh, my usual sometimes co-host, Javier Figueroa and Bob Reynolds are not available today, but I'm really excited that my guest, Jeremy R. Hammond, the wonderful investigative journalist, has agreed to stay with me for the full two hours and play co-host with me. I'm very excited. Welcome, Jeremy. <laughs> Thank you, Bernadette. Nice to see you again and speak with you. Yeah, it's been a long time. And, you know, it, it's funny how you can go months or a year or more and some of these very important issues that you have been diving down into as an investigative journalist to see the progress of where they were, you know, just before the show started here was just about to talk about censorship and how since we last spoke, I believe like the censorship noose got tighter and tighter and crazier that shut down the White House. We learned from Twitter files that the CDC, the FDA, CIA, everybody was illegally playing um, the censorship game with social media uh, platforms. I'm sure it was with major media as well. I'm sure that will come out. But we've already seen some major lawsuits begin to have victories to say no you can't do that this is this is against the foundations of this nation i so love that um so there really is hope don't you think do you feel more ho hopeful now than you did say a year ago yeah absolutely i mean it's the fact that there's a mainstream discussion about the censorship that that has been taking place because if you remember pre-pandemic you know if you talked about being censored you know, like some kind of conspiracy theorist, right? Even though it was happening, yeah. it was just like no, nobody knew about it unless you yeah. were the ones affected by it. But now it's like everybody knows that, that yeah, the government was involved in this censorship regime. Um, and I think I just, it looks like that case that, what is it, Missouri uh, versus Biden is going yes. to be going to the Supreme Court, it looks that, like. Ooh, very, very exciting. There's so many um, uh, entities involved in that, including Children's Health Defense. So it's very exciting to see that going forward. And, you know, it took us a while, Jeremy, to figure out really how to be good American citizens because we were, and I'm as guilty as anybody, very complacent, 
just heads down, living our own little bubble worlds and thinking you can't fight City Hall and not really understanding what was going on. Um, I kind of had a, a rude awakening years ago in, in searching for healing protocols for my, my son. You, as a journalist, had your kind of great awakening around September 11th. So for listeners who never met you before, tell them about your journey as an investigative journalist. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I, I considered myself to be above average in terms of awareness, you know, and just knowledge of world events and affairs and things. But I was still, you know, when 9-11 happened, I was still naive enough to ask myself the question, like, well, why would people do this? And um, and just not satisfied with the answer that we heard from the Bush administration, which was that, well, because they hate our freedoms. And, you know, I saw through that <laughs> at least. Yeah. And so I started researching and I kind of, you know, I, I really kind of discovered the Internet for the first time around that time of my life. Uh, and I had uh, happened to have just um, I, I bought my plane ticket right before 9-11 and ended up moving to Taiwan um, like right after 9-11 and, and then just being there and spending time, you know, researching, you know, like in my spare, spending all my spare time, just like researching. And then by the time, uh, by the end of 2002, um, it was pretty clear that they were going to try to use 9-11 as a pretext to invade Iraq um, mm -hmm. for the goal of regime change. Started speaking out against that war, telling people you know, that there's no evidence Iraq still has weapons of mass destruction, no evidence that they have a, a, a collaborative relationship with Al-Qaeda. Um, and that was really how I got started doing journalism. I was basically just speaking out against the war, started sending information home to family and friends, ultimately mm -hmm. um, just decided, well, I'm, I'm going to start a website and just start publishing stuff. What, um, what did you find was the biggest obstacle to acceptance of what you were saying? Um, that's that's a really good question um, because that was one of the big learning experiences I had through, throughout that whole, whole ordeal because a lot of the information I was sending, like I would send stuff like like from the UN, right? Like from the weapons inspectors who had been in Iraq and like what their reports were saying, things like that. And and in how there was just this huge contradiction between like what the evidence was and what the, the Bush administration was saying. So I thought it was like very clear, like, okay, they're lying to us. To me, that was just like, obvious and, and clear yeah. and yet the like when i was sharing this information with people um like they, the the responses and the attitudes i got was really quite horrific and it was quite upsetting yeah. and traumatizing to me that they just rejected it they got mad at me you know they called me conspiracy theorist and, and anti-american and I, I i'm a saddam supporter and just that the like yeah. the this this violent attitude towards me for sharing information that yeah. I thought would like help them awaken to what was really happening. Um, and the, the lesson I learned from that was that I think, you know, people have this belief system and the belief system is it's what I frequently refer to as the state religion mm. because they have such a strong faith and belief in the U S government as a benevolent entity as this benevolent power. And yeah, sure. Yes. Sometimes politicians make mistakes, but they only yes. ever have benevolent intent and the government would never lie to us. And we can trust government agencies like the FDA and the CDC. And yeah. it's like a belief system. Yes. And so, And I borrow the phrase state religion from, from Noam Chomsky, which incidentally, um, the title of your show today um, about manufacturing consent is another phrase I've borrowed from, of course, Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman's mm -hmm. uh, treatise on that subject, uh, Manufacturing Consent, the Political Economy of the Mass Media, which yeah. everyone should read. And I, th this is so important because what you learned 
is the playbook where individuals, um, you know, we want to believe in our nation. We want to believe in the agencies that we have created. And then that desire is fed by information pushed out through these entities, through the government, you know, call it propaganda or marketing, whatever you want to call it, pushed out, major media blasts it, hypes it up. Um, and, you know, do you remember, of course, I'm sure you remember, like on CNN, you turn on CNN and it would be the drum beats of war. Boom, 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 yeah. boom, you know, and, and people will riled up and, and made to feel like you've got to support the war and you've got to support, you know, and the, this pattern of, of feeding people's religion with emotional, um, uh, it's emotional words, the slogans, the music, the presentation, everything. And it makes you kind of block out the willingness to even hear that maybe not all is what it seems, that something you're being played here a bit, something's going on. Because this is, gets repeated over and over. This is what we saw with COVID. That the people want to believe. I think the best of humanity is co-opted by the powers that be who know how to play us like puppets on a string and how to get us because you were presenting data. And it's infuriating when you show people the actual inspections, right, from... Mm -hmm. You know, when we show them the actual studies, when we show them the, oh, the CDC says safe and effective, and they refer to the study. Did you go read the study? Well, here's what the study said. It's and, and they block it down. So anyway, so yeah. there, there you started, and you got fully immersed in in that whole playbook, and saw how things were operating. You kind of grew some thick skin. You you learned. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. I had to grow not thick skin. A, yeah, no, not everybody survives that phase of, of entering this arena of being truth tellers because the attacks do get very brutal. Yeah, in fact, when I started out, I I, I didn't want to write under my name. I, I started out writing anonymously. And mm. then eventually I realized, well, if people are going to consider me to have any authority and credibility, I need to let them know who I am. So, but yeah, yeah I, I didn't want to get into that. I, I still don't like being in the public spotlight, but it's just... It's what needs to be done. So I do it. You know, I just kind of dig in and yeah. I've got the thick skin now and I go for it. Yeah. Well, you know, if you look at CHD TV and all the, the programming you have on here, we're, we're most of the hosts were just like you. We're just people who kind of got fell into doing some sort of programming to bring information forward because nobody else is doing it. <laughs> Precisely. Know? And I think it's important to point out, like, I have no background in journal, like no educational background in journalism. I didn't go to school for it. Um, I do have a degree in communications, but that's only very mm. slightly related. Um, and so, you know, it just, it's just something I started doing because the mainstream media wasn't doing it. They don't do journalism. They do political advocacy and people need to be able to spot the difference. Yeah. Spot what, you know, and, and, and under, you can, when you understand their tactics and the, and the devices they use, the propaganda mm -hmm. devices, you, then you, you become less susceptible to being duped by the lies and deceptions. Yeah, that, that advocacy journalism is such a danger to our republic, such a danger to freedom. Um, it, you know, if, if you're out there advocating for something, go out and declare yourself an advocate, but don't present your advocacy as news. 
right? It's you and me. This, this is, I'm sort of an advocate for medical freedom and, you know, informed consent and, and all of this, but, you know, I'm not claiming that, you know, I'm giving you unbiased news. Bernadette is very biased and I admit it. <laughs> but, you know, what we read in the newspapers is not, you know, there, there, there's that, there's the journalism is political um, advocacy and it's corporate news ripped off the press releases and non-vetted. If it comes from particular entities, it doesn't get vetted. It gets thrown on the air. It's read on the TV news, the radio news and everything. And nobody checks into it. And that is frightening. Yeah. When, when news media pass off CDC press releases as news, I mean, that they're just not doing their jobs, but, no. but that's what they'll do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so you covered 9-11 and then what were you doing bef before then? You were, was financial coverage, marketing? Oh, no, I, I did, wasn't writing at all. I, I um, had, I was in school. I was, I was in college. I graduated from school, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I saw no use for the, my BS degree <laughs> that I received. Um, and so that's what, why I ended up going to Taiwan. I just thought I had had a friend who had, had come back from there and he kind of planted the seed in my, in my head. He said, I'm going back. You should come with me and we'll, we, you know, you can teach English for a while and figure things mm -hmm. out. And I intended to go six months, ended up staying 12 years, got married there. My son was born there. Aww. Um, and that's incidentally how I got into writing about health freedom issues and vaccines because in 2012, when my son was born, uh, I wanted to be able to make informed choices. Mm -hmm. And so I started using the skills I'd acquired doing journalism, um, digging directly into the medical literature. Um, and once I kind of acquired that knowledge, I couldn't not share it with others. And so that's kind of why I shifted my focus. I used to have a, foreign, uh, a website called Foreign Policy Journal. It's still up. I just don't publish it anymore um, And because I, I shifted my focus entirely. I used to write about uh, foreign policy, um, also economic matters. Um, but by the beginning of the, the by March 2020, uh, when the lockdown started, I was like, okay, that's it. I, I just don't have any bandwidth for foreign policy affairs at all right now. I'm just, so I stopped publishing that entirely and shifted 100% at that point to just publishing stuff on, on my website, jeremyrhammond.com yeah. um, about the lockdowns and vaccines. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, and show the the viewers there and for the radio audience. It's jeremyrhammond.com. Got to put that R in there to get you, jeremyrhammond.com. And all of your in-depth uh, um, articles are there. Let me go back to scroll a little bit and um, talk about some of the, these things that you've been um, covering. Um, let's just go ahead and start like... Um, maybe not on the, this first one, you do encapsulate really beautifully an interview you did. So I encourage people to go back and you can read um, the highlights of the interview or watch the whole interview here. But your study on COVID-19, um, study on COVID-19 misinformation propagates CDC misinformation. And, and Jeremy, this whole... The, Okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit because in the late 2010s and, and definitely in, you know, 17, 18, 19, we were seeing, at least in Washington state, the term misinformation used a whole lot. I mean, they were planting terms like misinformation, disinformation, and then they made up malinformation, wasn't it? Is that the one they recently made up? <laughs> in order to... Um, you could see where they were going with it to use 
everything that we claim they could disparage and say misinformation and that we're anti-science. And it was really meant to shut down conversation in Washington State at the University of Washington. They even had a, they still have many courses on misinformation of trying, supposedly trying to teach people how to vet, but they're sending people to the CDC and the FDA and and the NIH as if they're trusted entities. Right. Um, and it's such a tangle. So I'd love for you to speak about your, your article here. Yeah, sure. And uh, just to kind of introduce what you were saying there, uh, to kind of go back, like what you're saying, this, this pre again, it predates the, the pandemic, the, the censorship. And, and I happen to have written uh, an ebook for uh, Children's Health Defense on that topic before the pandemic, um, and it was it, it was titled something like uh, you know um, how they are redefining misinformation, uh, where where informed consent is is now misinformation. And so, uh, what happened was th there was a study in the Journal of Vaccines that came out, and it was all the headlines were talking about how Children's Health Defense is like the top spreader of misinformation on Facebook. And you go in to read the study, and they don't provide a single example of any Facebook post from Children's Health Defense that contained any misinformation. They don't even try to do that. What all they did was they said, well, okay, well, anything that doesn't, that goes against the policy goal of encouraging people to get vaccinated is by definition, anti-vaccine, according mm -hmm. to their definition of anti-vaccine. And then they equated anti-vaccine with misinformation. So they literally used misinformation as a euphemism to mean any information, re regardless of factual accuracy, that mm -hmm. didn't support the policy goal of achieving high vaccination rates. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And that was the, what the whole study was. And, and interestingly, they did show an example of a Facebook post mm -hmm. from uh, an organization here in Michigan, uh, Michigan for Vaccine Choice. And the, 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 there, was no, there were no claims made in the post whatsoever. All it was was a it was a, a communicating the idea that everyone has a right to make their own informed choice. That was it. It was literally a post simply advocating the right to informed consent, mm -hmm. and that was an example of what the, the authors of this study identified as misinformation. <laughs> so literally, if you if you advocate informed consent, you're spreading misinformation. That's how bad it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, um, yeah. So now there's this more recent study in one of the. Uh, AMA journals of the American Medical Association. So they have, you know, JAMA, J-A-M-A journals. There's, you know, they have numerous journals under the, the JAMA organization. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of those JAMA journals had published this study um, where they were basically attacking doctors, physicians who uh, had supposedly spread, you know, dangerously spread uh, misinformation, like the, the, the authors of the, the paper are, are accusing these physicians of like putting people's lives at risk. And, and basically, uh, and, and they actually advocate, you know, the people, number one, more censorship of the, the quote unquote misinformation. And number two, like these, these physicians, they're like, they should lose their license, something they should, there needs to be some kind of disciplinary action taken against these physicians. And one of the references they use when they're making this, you know, kind of this that they're advocating this approach. Um, you go and click their, their, their link, their source. And, and it's an article about, you know, like how uh, the AMA um, implemented this policy of, of forbidding physicians from spreading misinformation and anyone who spreads misinformation, quote unquote, misinformation is, is risking their license. 
uh, because the AMA is going to support going after doctors and going after the license mm-hmm. licenses. So this was the the whole approach. And and in, in the very introduction of the paper, they state right in there what their concern is, which is vaccination rates aren't up to where they want them to be. So that was you know. So the the goal is immediately obvious that that they they are not interested in science or fact versus fiction, misinformation versus good information. They're not interested in that at all. In fact, by the time you get done reading the study, you'll see that they have no problem whatsoever with with misinformation as long as it supports the policy goal. And you can tell that because they literally spread misinformation in the study because the criteria that uh, the criterion that they used one to, to determine whether something was misinformation or not was whether it agreed with what the CDC said or not. That was it. That was their sole criterion for determining whether something was misinformation. And so they end up, of course, spreading all kinds of misinformation. So, for example, if you were to yeah. say something like natural immunity is superior to the immunity induced by the COVID-19 vaccines, well, guess what? That would be considered misinformation, never mind that it happens to be true. Well, Jeremy, are we in trouble here in the state of Tennessee? Because in 2022, we passed a bill that says that there can be no rule, law, requirement, public or private, in which natural immunity is not recognized as being equivalent or at least as good as the COVID shot. So you can't discriminate against people with natural immunity now. You can, you know, you've, you're immune, you're as good as the person with the shot, actually you're superior than the person with the shot. <laughs> So, gosh, we have an entire state that has a law that is spreading misinformation. How about that? Very <laughs> proud of that. You know, I'm I'm at the stage where, well, not here in Tennessee with doctors, um, because our medical licensing board um, has been called in front of our GovOps committee several times and asked very serious questions about doctors and licenses and threats and such. And as far as I am aware, regarding um, what would be called misinformation regarding the use of ivermectin or speaking truth or your truth or your uh, opinion about masks or um, COVID shots. Nobody in the state of Tennessee that I'm aware has lost their medical license. So I'm very, very pleased with that. Although uh, we're not without people who are not being investigated at the national level, like our dear Dr. Denise Sibley, who has gone to the General Assembly several times, and she's just a brilliant, gifted, caring woman. Um, she's treated, she must be up to 5,000 patients now for free, either with COVID or COVID vaccine injury. She's just an amazing woman. Um, and the um, Board of Internal Medicine is you know, threatening to take away her uh, internal, what do you call, I've, I've lost the name of that, um, board certification certification that's what it is yeah Uh, which you can still of course practice medicine without the certification but right you know i i'm hoping that all of these doctors win in their uh fight against abim um and then they turn around and quit the organization because i mean who wants to belong to an organization as evil as that (laughs) you know yep yeah, it's a bad. So I, you know, I really look for um, 
the you know if you have not gotten into a little bit of trouble for standing up speaking out it means that you might not be um you might not be doing your job as well as you should be <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, it, I got banned from LinkedIn. I, I got my account back now. It was a permanent ban. I managed to get uh, my account back from a permanent ban, but I was permanently you. banned for, for, um, uh, for sharing an article I had written where I pointed out how the CDC's August 2021 20, claim that the, vac the vaccines confer superior immunity to natural mm. immunity mm -hmm. was contradicted at the time by virtually all of the non-CDC originating medical literature and mm -hmm. was falsified by the CDC's own data as reported by its own researchers in its own journal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I got banned for that, um, yeah. along, along with an article I had written where I corrected mainstream media misinformation about an ivermectin study where they had reported the, the study as all the headlines were study mm -hmm. shows ivermectin doesn't work. And you go and, you're, and, and there was actually something like a 69% like reduction in, in the risk of dying. Mm. It didn't achieve statistical significance. Yeah. So the, the, the you know the proper conclusion from that study is that yeah sure they, they didn't find a, a significant uh, you know benefit against against mortality. However, that could have just been they needed a larger sample size. Maybe the study was underpowered. It, it, it doesn't show that it doesn't work. In fact, yeah. you know, And in fact, it, it, they use ninety five percent confidence intervals. Mm -hmm. Had they used a 90% confidence intervals, and this is pretty arbitrary. You can read articles about p-values and confidence intervals and how it's just, they have this arbitrary, you know, what are we going to consider to be statistically significant or not? Had they used 90% confidence intervals, it would have been a statistically significant um, reduction in, in the risk of dying for, among the ivermectin treated patients. And so I was just correcting this mainstream media misinformation. And for doing that, um, I, I got banned. <laughs> well, you know, while you're bringing up, I'm going to segue a bit here, uh, confidence intervals. The ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, a couple of days ago, got together to hear a whole bunch of information about COVID shots. The vast majority was about COVID shots that are no longer being administered because they have no data on the new shots that they were voting to uh, recommend to the American public because, you know, a, a couple of rats and maybe 50 people got, you know, a couple of rats in, for Pfizer and, and 50 people for Moderna actually got the shot. Right. Um, so they were showing all of this information, just trying to figure out some way to make them look good. And what they left out was so appalling. But this one uh, slide has really made the news. It's going around social media. And I want to, I want to show you this. This is just what it's so absurd to me. So th this is a slide presented um, by the CDC. I, I'd have to go look up exactly who it was that um, presented this at ACIP. Let me see which one, which one is this? If um, I, I think it was, I think it was by the CDC, but anyway, it says, Estimated COVID-19 hospitalizations prevented versus potential myocarditis cases for every million mRNA COVID-19 vaccine doses for those aged 12 to 17 years old. So they're saying for every 1 million dose of COVID shots, it prevents 19 to 95 hospitalizations 
five to 19 ICU admissions and zero to one death. Those are very small numbers for 1 million doses. Now, if it was absolutely safe, you know, maybe people would think it would be worth it. However, what's really interesting is you look at what's in bright red there, Jeremy. So they've got bright, bold red. How many cases of myocarditis to expect for every 1 million dose? And they put zero myocarditis cases in 55,649 males with a bivalent dose and zero myocarditis cases in 57,776 females with a bivalent dose. So you're thinking, hmm, what does that quite mean with these numbers? And what is that per million dose? It's very confusing. Then it's got the little footnote with the three there. And in small print, it says, let me pull up that small print there. Um, I'm going to find it here. So the zero number is based on preliminary Pfizer BioNTech bivalent booster safety data from VSD, incident rate per million doses, and the zero with a 95% confidence interval spreads between zero and 54 in males. And the confidence, 95% confidence interval is between zero and 52 in females. Now, if I'm understanding what confidence interval means, is there 95% confident that there's between zero and up to 54 deaths? Um, I mean, cases of myocarditis in 55,649 males. So wait a minute. What, a, you know, I mean, right in our face, attempting to make us, we see zero and we walk away. So explain to viewers what, what we're seeing here. Yeah, those, <laughs> just, it makes no sense because, um, yeah, that's what essentially, you know, in, in kind of a, a layman's um, uh, way of putting it is, is confidence intervals. The 95% confidence intervals um, are basically tell you that you, you're not, you have a 95 percent level of confidence um sometimes it's described as a level of you know probability that that the true rate falls somewhere between uh it looks like zero and 54 there for the first one mm -hmm. uh, for for males um zero and 52 for females so um so so if it if it lies somewhere between those two numbers why are they saying that it, why are they displaying that it's zero yeah. But it doesn't make any sense for them to do that, given the confidence inter intervals, because, you know, it could be between zero and 54, it looks like to me, right. for, for males. And it, so it, it's, it's, it's just obvious that they're, they're just, it's a gimmick. And this is incident rate per million doses. Incident rate. So my brain's tangled now. Not incidents, not number of... Um, cases, but the incident rate per million, it's very confusing. Yeah, it is. I would, I would like to know where they're even getting these numbers from. Like show me, show me this data so I can even make sense of what, what those confidence intervals right. mean here in, in this situation. Uh, and, um, you know, and one thing, you know, when, when you're, when you hear people talk about confidence intervals, um, 
you know, if you have confidence intervals, like for example, that you have negative, like with vaccine efficacy <laughs> and you have negative efficacy and then it, and it overlaps and, and then you have positive efficacy. And so if they present, for example, an estimated uh, vaccine effectiveness of, you know, negative 10 to, to 30%, well, that's not statistically significant. In other words, that there's no significant statistically significant benefit of, of the vaccine in, in that circumstance. Um, so just so people, you know, it's just so your, your, your uh, audience can, can understand a little bit more about confidence inter- intervals and how to interpret them. Um, but here it, it just, it, it just, to me, it's nonsensical what they're trying to pull off here. Um, and so and the other thing is that when I'm looking at this, even before I saw that footnote and it says zero myocarditis cases in 55,649 males, does that mean with 55,640, 50 males that there were myocarditis cases or you know like they have that very specific number where they cut it off they, and, they're, and they're saying that the number within within those yeah. number of, of doses that it, it was zero cases with confidence intervals i mean it what are they trying to say here I, this is the thing with the cdc and its communications i mean it's, a lot of times it's you know it, it's obvious it, they want you to just see the zero Jewish. and run away and those you know i i I've tried to learn statistics from, from James Lyons-Weiler and it's just not something my brain is good at. So I, I do like to refer to experts and I know you're really good with the numbers and all that, but if, if anybody really understands the, as, as Jack would say, the statistical sham wizardry that they mm-hmm. are attempting to pull off here, because obviously it's not zero. We know it's yeah. not zero. We know that there have been a lot of myocarditis uh, cases. Um, yeah, I think and- this is a, a case of what Dr. Jack would call, uh, you know, science-like activities here. I think we have a case of that. Yeah, then, and and it's it's getting so blatant. And I want to come back to censorship here, but something that I find really um, alarming. Um, but again, it's the same pattern we've got this weird war going on, right? It's a war of words. It's not a war of facts, your facts versus our facts. It's, it's attacking facts. Uh, it's, it's um, trying to get people not to think um, or to really consider the facts. So it's, we're in this propaganda war, this marketing war. And I, you know, the, the jokes used to be all about how bad lawyers were and they were going to be just like the evils of society bringing down the world. But right now I think it's the marketers, Holy cow, if you've got a good marketing department and you can spin a COVID advertise, shot advertisement and get people to get it, wow, evil genius you got going there. And they've got some of these marketing firms embedded at the CDC. You know, it's... Right, and, and the pharmaceutical companies, they practically don't even have to do their own advertising and marketing because they have oh. the CDC and the FDA doing it for them. Oh, like when, like when the, 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 the Omicron booster shots came out and the FDA was advertising, putting up advertisements on, on, on Twitter, posts on Twitter saying things like that, 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 the, the, the Omicron, the booster shots were going to update your antibodies to be specific to the Omicron variant, which was false. It was untrue yeah. um, it, because, because of original antigenic sin. So people who got the, the booster shot there, they didn't update their antibodies to be specific yeah. to Omicron. It, they were still generating a bunch of antibodies against the extinct spike protein of the original Wuhan strain. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if, if the, and the point I want to make here is that if the pharmaceutical companies themselves were to do that, it would be fraud. 
Yes. So the FDA is committing fraud on behalf of the, the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And now you, you hit on one of my pet peeves. And as a individual mama bear who, you know, goes and supports good legislation and fights bad legislation, uh, we need to put an end to our three letter agencies and our health departments being able to say marketing messages that the manufacturers can't say. Right. Why should they be able to violate consumer protection laws and use deceptive marketing? They shouldn't. So I, you know, the, I'm, I'm all, I'm all for that. I think that's, we need to, um, well, I think we need to get rid of all the three letter agencies and just, you know, I mean, the whole thing needs to, yes. to be cleansed. And I'm excited yes. that the brilliant people in this nation with a lot of chutzpah, they're stepping it up and figuring it out. They're filing lawsuits. They're starting parallel um, medical systems, parallel insurance systems, parallel monetary systems. Um, just heard John Rich on, uh, who's here in, in, in Tennessee. He was on the high wire yesterday and, and they started a bank called the old glory bank to, you know, try to get away from CBDC and all that. And, um, I just, I feel like we're going to get her done, but we got a long way to go. And so I guess what I was squirreling over to though, is I'm seeing, all of this used in a very scary way. We know that all of all of this is being done to remove our freedom at a top level. You you know capture the best of humanity that we want to um, be good to our neighbors and be kind to each other and not spread disease. Co-opting our best selves, making us live in fear, and now they are declaring that gun violence is a public health emergency, and because. They're putting gun violence under public health emergency. It opens up all of those pretty scary tools that they have. And um, which which uh, what state? Well, was it the governor governor just attempted? Were you paying attention to that to have a thirty day ban in a particular part of her state on um, on gun ownership and gun carrying guns? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And it got shot down know. by, um, by a judge as being unconstitutional. Uh, but it's, but she declared a public health emergency for gun violence and then said, wow. okay, you can't carry guns because it's a public health emergency. She didn't, it gave her this really scary thing. So anything that they want us to do, they're trying to put climate change and I'm doing air quotes for those of you listening <laughs> on the radio, that climate change is a public health emergency. Hmm. You know, everything is going to be put under public health emergency so that they can use these tools they're developing to steal our freedom. And, it, and it's very scary. But people are seeing it, right? They're seeing the pattern. It's like, wait a minute. That's what you did with COVID. Uh-uh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, uh, they neglected to really understand the depth of the tenacity of human spirit. <laughs> So I'm very glad for that. So, okay. So, so back to censorship um, and that great um, article that you wrote, I'm going to go back and, and find that what you were doing. So, so in this, you just tore apart this study that basically was trying to convince people um, that basically misinformation is anything that goes against the narrative. Right. Right. Yeah. 
So it's so in depth. I love the work you do. I, I love that you, <clears throat> you seem to have the ability to tune out. Like I, I just mentioned to you a couple of things that are in the news, but I have a feeling your head's down and you're staying focused on one topic because that's the only way you're going to do in-depth journalism with this. You don't get distracted <laughs> and go to a bunch of Yeah, I, 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 it's hard because it, I, there's so much information, you know, and I have a flood in my inbox on a daily mm -hmm. basis and I have to kind of pick and choose, okay, which which one of these pieces of information is, is really the most valuable use of my time. And so I do yes. have to kind of like really hone in and focus, um, especially a lot of my articles are quite long form. I don't, I don't do 800 word commentaries. You know, mm -hmm. I do really in depth. I, I, the articles I write are like, if you want to re read one article on this topic, read this one. That's yeah. basically what I want to do for my, my readers because, um, you know, it might take you half an hour or even an hour to, to read one of my articles. But the thing mm -hmm. is, it, but all the information I'm giving you in that article, yeah. in hopefully an easy, easily consumable um, format, um, you know, you could go out and spend 20 hours reading other stuff, trying to get the same amount of information. Yeah. And so that's what I, that's what I'm trying to do. And it's such a gift to us because those individuals like you who will take the time to distill the information and concentrate it for us and then hyperlink everything so that we've got like your one-stop shop on these subjects because there are too many. And, you know, I used to, when pre-COVID, I mean, it's almost like, wow, it was like vacation when I think about it now. I ha I didn't realize I had the luxury of time because I felt like I was running constantly, but I in hindsight, I had more time for the things I was looking into to go down the rabbit hole and become much more articulate on certain subjects. But now I'm just flying so fast. I'm just running across the surface. <laughs> I don't have time. And I kind of really miss that. I miss what you're doing for us. And I'm grateful for it. So I've got um, on the screen now several of your most recent works. Pick one to talk about. And I'll click on it. Let's, let's go for it. Oh, well, uh, I brought up original antigenic sin a bit earlier. So um, just to maybe just take a moment to, in case people kind of didn't catch on what I was talking about there. So original antigenic sin is a phenomenon I first learned about studying flu shots. Um, I did a, a kind of a major four-part series on, on influenza vaccines um, pre-pandemic. And um, it, so one of the things that I, I learned was how getting a seasonal flu shot could actually increase your risk of uh, what happened. There were studies showing that people who got the flu shot had an increased risk of illness with the 2009 pandemic H1N1. Yes. Um, and that was one of the hypotheses that was put forward to explain these findings was uh, original antigenic sin. So what can happen is it has to do with the priming of your immune system. And so what happens with the COVID-19 vaccines is when, you're, when your immune system was primed, when your first experience with SARS-CoV-2 is, is the vaccine and the spike protein generated from the, the mRNA goes into your mm -hmm. cells, you, you produce the, the spike protein. Um, and when that antigen is, is your experience, your immune experience is training your immune system in a much different way than an infection trains your immune system. And so the immune system becomes fixated with, with, with COVID-19 vaccines on generating that response. Um, so and that's what I was saying, where, where the, the, the FDA was saying you will update your antibodies, but that didn't really happen to a, a great extent because, <clears throat> uh, because people, even though they got this 
this booster that's supposed to give them Omicron antibodies, they were, they were still, it was the, they still had that memory, the B cells. Um, and it's still like fixated on generating antibodies to the Wuhan spike protein. Um, and so this is sometimes called immune imprinting. Um, original antigenic sin is, is the, the term I use for it because <clears throat> every immunological experience is immune imprinting. Immune imprinting mm -hmm. is fine. It's what you want. I mean, it's what, that's what natural immunity does. You have immune imprinting mm -hmm. um, where, but with natural immunity, it's much broader. First of all, you have, number one, you have antibodies, not only against the spike protein, but against the whole virus. There's the nucleocapsid protein and the membrane protein and other, other parts of the virus. And not only that, but you get a much broader um, cellular immune response. T cells, <clears throat> uh, which uh, happen to be much more important, well, or, or equally important, if not yeah. considerably more important than antibodies. And this is one of the, the gimmicks that they use too, is they'll say, oh, well, you, and this is the whole thing. When you, we're talking about the CDC, um, the meeting, ACIP meeting, um, and, and the, the Pfizer had 10, <laughs> 10 mice. Yeah. in total, 10 that got the, got the yeah. vaccine. Um, Moderna, they used, they had a hundred uh, humans 50, you know, 50 got, but, but both, they didn't have a control. They don't have a control group. Yeah. Both, both groups got an experimental vaccine. One was just the monovalent XBB. The other group got the, the, a bivalent experimental vaccine that had XBB plus like the, uh, uh BA4, the old, BA5, yeah. which was the Omicron <clears throat> previous Omicron booster was composed of those two, um, sub variants. Um, and, and so, you know, the, all they're doing is they're measuring primarily, they're just looking at like neutralization assays. So they'll like collect blood from the mice mm -hmm. and they'll look at the antibodies and, and, and the neutralization activity of those antibodies in the blood. Um, and this is one of the things that they used early on to try to support the claim that, that, um, that vaccines were better than natural immunity because they'd say, oh, look, when you get this vaccine, your antibodies are way up here, but people with natural immunity, their antibodies aren't that high. So vaccines as, are better. Right. As if um, high levels of antibodies are, are better. Just this, this weird assumption that yeah. is not based in science. Well, to this day, I mean, yeah. the FDA will admit it. If you look at their briefing documents and things, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll acknowledge that there are no correlates of immunity for SARS-CoV-2. In other words, there isn't like a specific level of antibodies that is known to be like correlated with protection. And in fact, when you look at people who have um, recovered from infection with, with SARS-CoV-2, yeah. you look at COVID-19 patients, um, high levels of antibody are actually associated with severe disease. Exactly. And so it's yes. people, it's people who, ha who actually don't generate many antibodies um, who actually have superior immune yeah. responses. Right. And this is they, largely to do with cellular immunity. Right. Yeah. They likely had a, a much more robust immune system. So um, and they may have taken early treatment protocols like you can say ivermectin on the show. So don't be afraid about seeing ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, vitamin C, all the good stuff. So they kept their viral load down. Um, Got to give a plug. I, I We need to really start talking about nasal flushes and gargling regularly. Look up um, iodine, povidone iodine. Um, I try, I accidentally always try to call it provolone, but I think it's povidone <laughs> iodine. Healthyimmunitynow.org um, is a good place to go where there's some links to um, how to make it, how to use it, some products that are available. But anyway, um, I digress. I wanted to share with you 
This is going back to a 2019 paper having to do with pertussis, because anytime you talk about like the immune memory. So um, Informed Choice Washington um, tried to get the uh, Board of Health to remove from requirement for school entry, the Tdap and DTAP shots, because the um, the vaccine, the pertussis portion, whooping cough, not only does not prevent infection and transmission, so it's for personal reduction of symptoms only when it works, um, but it also skews your immune system to an improper response that a famous study called the CHERRY study, mm-hmm. um, it says in the in the paper, It said, quote, all children who were primed by DTaP, that's the diphtheria, um, tetanus, and acellular pertussis vaccines, will be more susceptible to pertussis throughout their lifetimes, and there is no easy way to decrease this increased lifetime susceptibility. Um, So this, this is huge. We, we try to say it's a personal decision for parents, you know, mandating it makes no sense because it does not protect public spaces. Outbreaks are happening in fully vaccinated children and um, fully vaccinated children who might have had their symptoms reduced don't know that they have whooping cough. And so they're spreading it to their newborn siblings and such. Um, but they shot us down. We appealed Um, I've talked about this many times before, and the the appeal to the governor's office and the governor's attorney wrote back that um, current science um, outweighed our argument. So I wrote to the attorney and said, what current science? We sent you the current science, the the last up to the minute best science there was on every portion of that Tdap. What do you got? And he said he'd have to ask the uh, Department of Health. I'm like, why do you have to ask anybody? You just denied it because you had the info. So anyway, they ended up sending four generic links to, you know, CDC and whatever. They, ridiculous. It was, it, it's absurd. The lie, 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 lies have been going on for so long. And now the, the trust is gone. You know, anybody who's got trust in, in any of this, it's absolutely absurd. And they know that to the point we've, have you seen like Paul Offit, some of the things he's been saying lately, he's still denying that MMR vaccine can cause autism. So he's refusing to go down that rabbit hole of data. Um, but he, he's he been, past couple of days, he's been saying that it's ridiculous that these COVID shots uh, were licensed and that are being pushed out there and that the entire public health approach, their refusal to admit when something is not effective, they're so dogmatic that vaccination is always the right thing to do that they're shooting themselves in the foot, basically, you know? Um, This is thanks to COVID that things, people are waking up and having these difficult conversations and where we really need to go, Jeremy, let me see how we're doing on time. Oh, we're getting down to the last two minutes of this hour. Um, we kind of figure out how to put health. If we are, if we are to continue to have any federal, state, local health departments, we've got to figure out how to put the health back in the health department. It makes no sense to me that they can't be promoting vitamin D and exercise and sunshine and, and even ivermectin here in Tennessee, where you can legally buy it over the counter after consultation from a pharmacist, you know, why is the only thing they can talk about 
liability-free jabs. That's just, we've got to fix that somehow. And I feel like we're going to figure it out. Yeah. So let's see, we'll be getting a little heads up from our engineer here and he'll play the music. So when um, I'm going to take a look again at your, your website. So that was original antigenic sin, which is a big problem with many vaccines, not just the COVID shots. And then um, some of the yeah, other- Yeah, just a quick comment on the, on the linked uh, epitope suppression from the cherry study on, on pertussis. Okay. Um, just put a little bit of context to that. Uh, what he was talking about in, in terms of children being more susceptible throughout their lifetimes, he's talking about relative to um, either the DTP, which is the whole cell pertussis vaccine or natural immunity. Yeah. Because of course the, the whole cell pertussis vaccine was more similar uh, induced immune response is more similar to 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 natural uh, I mean, like to an infection, but of yeah. course not as good as natural immunity. Um, similar to how live vaccines like the measles vaccine mm -hmm. generate immune responses, more similar to natural immunity to infection, um, but not quite there, not as good. Um, and so he's talking about relative to, especially relevant there is natural immunity is superior. And so it's and so natural yeah. immunity needs to be understood as an opportunity cost of vaccination. Oh, let, let's pick up uh, right there when we come back. The opportunity, say that again, what's the term? An opportunity cost. An opportunity cost, right. An and I do believe, term. yeah, they would love to make it illegal to be um, to be susceptible and have natural immunity. So we, we, got, a, we got a lot of work to do, sir. So um, Jeremy, it's wonderful having you here and I get you in the next hour. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHDTV. We're going to take a break and then we'll come back for more great discussions with Jeremy Hammond. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website, informedchoice.com. 
informchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informchoicewa.org today. We need a Hello and welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 11:50 a.m. KKNW and CHD TV. I am here uh, with Jeremy Hammond, and we're just having a great conversation. It's been a while, so we're getting caught up on some things that he's been writing about that have been going on in the world today. And as usual, uh, views expressed are our own, not necessarily those of this great radio station or CHD TV. And we're not giving medical or legal advice just our opinions as people in this world who like to think things through, don't you, don't you know? Um, when we went to break, you brought up that term, and it, it, remind me again what it is. The um, Opportunity cost. Opportunity cost. So let's talk about opportunity cost. What does that term mean? Um, it's a term I learned from researching economic issues. Um, and in fact, there's a, there's kind of a famous parable uh, of, the, of the broken window. It's just a, it's kind of useful to help people understand what a, a, an opportunity cost is. So okay. uh, there's kind of this fallacy. It's called the broken window fallacy. And so you have a a, a shopkeeper who has a, a rock thrown thrown through their window. And so they have to go and hire the glazier to, to come and fix their window. And so, you know, the mainstream economists will say, hey, look, there's economic growth. A job was created. Um, this is a fallacy because they're not taking into consideration how the shopkeeper would otherwise have used that money that he, he used to pay the glazier to fix the destruction. Mm. Um, and so this is this is a kind of a, a good, um, you know, story to explain what opportunity cost means. And that's what it is. It's it's you know, it's one thing to see, oh, there's a new window. There's a job created, so you're you're looking at what's seen, but you're not you're not considering what's unseen, which is how else that that shopkeeper could have used those dollars. And so what I was saying is that um, in, uh, natural immunity needs to be understood as an opportunity cost of vaccination, because when you get a vaccine, you are training your immune system, you're priming the immune system, and when you prime the immune system by this artificial means. It's not the same as is the way the immune system is primed by infection, and so you don't get as good an immune an immunity as you do with natural immunity. Um, and, and so that's, that's by design because they're trying. I mean, on the noblest level, they are attempting to have your body develop some sort of resistance without giving you full blown disease symptoms. So there, you're never going to have that full immune response that's as broad or durable or anything as because they are intentionally trying not to trigger your the full repertoire that your body has to answer. Right. But they're leaving out the fact that if you're very healthy and you've got the right nutrients on board and your vitamin D levels are good, you weren't going to be having any of those major symptoms anyway <laughs> because right. your immune system is already... Um, in a way primed to handle it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so public policymakers always and ever ignore the opportunity cost of vaccination. They never take it into consideration. And that's that's a huge oversight. 
Mm -hmm. It'd be the same thing as the economist, you know, saying, oh, well, there's that, you know, we can all go around throwing rocks through each other's windows and create economic growth. It's not how it works. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the equivalent of that. Like, yeah. This is it's such a huge failure of, of the policymakers, mm -hmm. uh, the FDA, the CDC, to not consider natural immunity as an opportunity cost of vaccination. That's what they need to, to, to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. They also, you know, they, you know, when they talk about, when you look at, you know, what claims that they make about reductions in mortality, and we were talking about the pertussis vaccine earlier. Well, the DTP, the whole cell pertussis vaccine, is a really good example of um, uh, what's called the nonspecific effects of vaccines. So, you know, the assumption of policymakers was the DTP vaccine has now been um, replaced in the U.S. and other developed countries with the acellular pertussis vaccine, but still widely used in developing countries. Um, and back when we were using it in the U.S., um, you know, the assumption was, oh, well, if we can reduce the incidence of the three target diseases, then then we can reduce mortality. That was the assumption. Mm -hmm. All the best evidence that we have from from countries where it's still used uh, indicate just the opposite, that in fact, that that vaccine is associated with an increased risk of childhood mortality. Yeah, not because from the antigens or the diseases that the vaccine targets, but all cause Mortality because, mortality because even though it might protect them from the three target diseases, they're they're di they're dying at an increased rate from other causes, from other diseases. Yeah. And so the, the top researchers in the field of nonspecific effects have, have said, you know, what appears to happen is that even though uh, the, the vaccine might protect them from from the, the target diseases, mm -hmm. um, that it makes their it detrimentally affects their immune systems in a way that makes them more susceptible to other diseases. And so they're yeah. dying at a higher rate from other causes than they would otherwise have died from the three target diseases. And we have seen this massively with COVID and doctors like Brian Cole, Peter McCullough and others, you know, they can really talk about the studies that are going on. You know, I mean, we, mankind is so arrogant, you know, and, and mankind in the absence of responsibility is dangerously arrogant. Let's just poke this into people and see what happens. And be, let, we've got immunity from all the nations. There's nothing they can do to us. Let's just use the entire planet as a giant field of guinea pigs and see what happens. And that is so dangerous. That's why we should never, ever, ever give liability shields to the drug industry at all. Um, I had something I was going to pull up. Oh, yeah. You had reminded me, I don't know why it jumped in my head. Again, the, the ACIP meeting that happened with a um, couple of days ago where they voted unanimously to push the new monovalent uh, COVID shot this fall um, onto us, along with RSV shots and um, flu shots. One of the presenters was going through studies that they had looked up using VSD data, that's vaccine safety data link data. And this is where the, the CDC and the FDA have access to, it's like, a, it's about, I think, eight hospital systems to all of their data. So they can do really in-depth studies if, if they were well-designed. They don't give independent researchers access to this though. So science is not good science if it's not repeatable by somebody else and they won't let other people repeat it. Right. But what I found fascinating here, the gal presenting said now in all of the uh, analysis that I'm going to present to you, we did all of the studies this way. They had a 21 day risk interval 
post-vaccination. So from day one to day 21, if myocarditis or any other um, outcome that they were specified outcome they were looking for, they didn't look at everything was reported. They only look at pre-specified. They just sort of ignored the things they didn't want to research. Um, it was um, that was considered potentially from from the shot. And then the window of time, 22 to 42 days, was the comparative interval. And that was not from the shot. This, what? So after she did all this presentation, somebody on the ACIP committee actually asked her, where did you get that 21-day post-vaccination interval to consider adverse events within this window could be attributed to the shot and anything after? She kind of laughed and said, well, you know, that's, it's interesting. It goes back to, oh, wow, almost four years ago before the first shots were ever released. And we were told that they were going to um, space the two shots in the primary dose by three weeks, by 21 days. So we decided in our studies to make it a 21 day interval for these adverse reactions. That was the only reason, not because there's only biological plausibility for myocarditis to occur in the first 21 days, mind you, but because that's how they decided to, oops, to space the shots. I mean, I was stunned. Like, really? Wow. What? That's not science? What the heck is that? I mean... <laughs> that's... That's amazing. I, you know, I'm so happy to hear that someone asked that question. It's such, yes. <laughs> such a, the right question to ask. Yeah. Is that the same document that you were showing us earlier? Um, is that the same? It With might the, not be the same document, but I can give you the link and we'll give our listeners the link in our upcoming Substack um, from Informed Choice Washington. Yeah, there was just a, a couple of page. other comments I had about that, if you don't mind returning to it real quick. Oh, no, um, happy. Yeah, go ahead. So um, one thing was, you know, you're looking at the, they're talking about, you know, per, per every million doses injected, you know, that they had, they could, in, in children, that they, they could reduce hospitalizations and ICU visits and, and what deaths was like zero and one, something like that, zero to one deaths for every million doses administered. Well, you know, what's the NNV for, you know, for that, like the number needed to vaccinate, you know, I mean, that's what they're basically trying to say that the, the, the number needed to vaccinate is, this is extraordinarily high number. So mm -hmm. for what benefit? So if, if you're going to prevent one hospitalization for however many hundreds of thousands of doses, mm -hmm. it, it appears, and I don't have it in front of me to and, uh, can't do the math in my head, but you know, uh, this is a very huge number for in terms of, you know, the number you need to vaccinate to supposedly prevent like one hospitalization, for example, mm -hmm. and, and for, for every one hospitalization supposedly prevented, how many severe, severe adverse events occur? Like they don't show you that. No, no. And, and of course they don't. And the other thing is, you know, when they talk about how, you know, there were zero cases of myocarditis per so many doses administered, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're only looking at clinical myocarditis when mm -hmm. the, you know, every CDC um, study I've seen where they look at it, they, they don't consider subclinical myocarditis. And when you go and you look at, um, and of course they're using VSD data for this too, uh, like mm -hmm. you said, where other, you know, it's, 
the CDC tightly controls the vaccine safety data link. Mm -hmm. When you look at, there have been studies where um, investigators actually looked for subclinical myocarditis and they found much, much higher rates. Oh yeah. Of myocarditis among people. Yeah. Uh, and they've also shown, you know, that it's, you know, the other thing is, oh, well, when, when you get myocarditis from the vaccine, it's, it's very short lived and it's mild and there's no long-term harm from that. And that's also not true because they've shown that yeah. it can lead to like scarring on the heart. There can be long-term um, detrimental impacts of vaccine caused myocarditis. Um, and so they're, they're just, and, and every, in every aspect, they're just not being honest and open um, with the people. And, you know, I, no. I think one thing to just like really drive home the point is, that, you know, if you if you for all of us who are kind of aware and, and know what's going on and know that the CDC isn't trustworthy, but like we, we need to like communicate to other people and help them understand because yeah. there are far too many people who still think that the CDC is some kind of trustworthy authority. And mm-hmm. so to like get through to people you know, just Socratic method, right? Ask them, well, is, is, is the public policy, is the goal of public policy to educate us to be able to make our informed choice about getting vaccinated? Or is it to, to achieve a high vaccination rate? What's their policy? Which is it A or B? Um, and everyone well, answer B, right? I mean, right. every bit of their action, their conflicted action is to increase vaccination rates right exactly and then when you realize that those two goals are not mutually agreeable no contradictory then you know you it's 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 kind of like well all right then you can begin to understand how the cdc is lying to people and deceiving people yeah there there really is no difference between the pharmaceutical industry and um and those three-letter agencies you know they are the pharmaceutical industry they are the pharmaceutical industry and you know they need to get off their high horse and we need to i mean look at all the time wasted well i guess there's not a whole lot of profit in people getting healthy and i i guess the only way really to take charge is we need to begin putting responsibility back on product manufacturers so that it's not so lucrative to have these cash cows, right? And and then the way we do this, though, we are so empowered, Jeremy. We are so, all we have to do, and I speak for myself too, because I'm not a perfect person, is I got to quit being lazy. You know, we we have everything we need to be healthy, and if we get healthy and we deprescribe, you know, luckily I've n- not on and hopefully never will be any pharmaceuticals, but most of the pharmaceuticals in this nation, we have less than 5% of the world's population. We use between like 60 and 70% of all the drugs. It's absurd. Most of those are lifestyle driven um, symptoms that are being addressed with drugs, that if you change your lifestyle, you're eating and everything. And the most radical, empowering, patriotic thing you could do right now is to get healthy. You know, do what you need to get de-prescribed. The, um, Peter McCullough's The, the Wellness, um, is it wellness.com? Well, I have to look up what that is. But the online um, uh, place called Wellness, uh, I'll look it up in a bit and get you the actual name, but they've got a whole program that's actually called, um, it, it's to help you get deprescribed. 
And you can do it all telehealth. You tell them what medicines are on your health condition and give them all your records and all that. And they safely help you become deprescribed. That's, that's how empowering it is. And I, I think of that one, the, the old, um, a bug's life, the old Disney Pixar film from when my son was little and you know, the ants were all being terrorized by the grasshoppers. And then, then they figured out at the end of the movie though, that wait a minute, Ants don't need grasshoppers. Grasshoppers need ants because it was the ants that were feeding the grasshoppers. And if they quit feeding, so we have to quit feeding the grasshoppers, right? And we we can do that. We have way more power um, than we realize. But it takes self-control, right? It takes discipline, changing your diet, your different habits. I There's a lot more banking habits I need to change, that sort of thing. But as a, Jeremy, as a beautiful example, of the absurdity of our federal agencies. Look at what was just approved for school lunches. Lunchables. Lunchables were just approved. This is an article in the Wall Street Journal. Kraft Heinz sees a $25 billion opportunity in schools. The packaged food giant revamps Lunchables for the cafeteria, tapping a new market and drawing pushback. You think? I mean, what the heck? I mean, what are we doing to our children? These, you know, it's dead food. It's overprocessed. Um, uh, I lost my thing here. It, it's overprocessed chemical food that is not feeding a healthy system. And, you know, why aren't our, our, our schools should be teaching children how to cook, you know, <laughs> about good food and supporting the local community. And I, you know, there's plenty of money out there. It's just being channeled in the wrong direction, you know, opportunity costs again, opportunity costs. Yep. we got to take it back. we got to take back our schools. we got to take back pretty much everything you know we were complacent it was our our fault but no more um oops i'm gonna go ahead and um pull up your website again here jeremy let me um go back to to presenting and let, let's pick something else that you've been down the rabbit hole in and see what you got here sir sure um, well an, another another recent one i did um was looking at the persistence of the spike protein oh let's um, look at yeah, that one there down in the mm -hmm. Lower left, mm -hmm. spike protein found in blood six months after mRNA COVID-19 vaccination is the title. Um, we could talk about that for a bit. So, of course, we all remember how the, the public health uh, establishment and the media were all saying, you know, there's no, it's, it's, it's scientifically impossible for, biologically impossible, it can't happen that, that the mRNA from the vaccines can be, become integrated into human DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at what the arguments they were using to arrive at that conclusion, they were logical fallacies. So you, the CDC to this day, for example, continues to argue that, well, the mRNA doesn't enter the cell nucleus, mm -hmm. which is where the DNA is, and therefore it can't become integrated into the, into the host DNA. Well, but this, this is the CDC knows, they know, I mean, this is how PCR tests work. There's something called reverse transcription, <laughs> where mRNA mm -hmm. is, is reverse transcribed into DNA, and that's how they... Uh, RT-PCR tests work. I mean, the RT is for reverse, reverse transcription, polymerase tr chain reaction tests, assays. So it's, it, it's not like some mystery that this phenomenon occurs and exists. 
Um, and so the, the mRNA can theoretically potentially be reverse transcribed to DNA, which then can potentially enter the cell nucleus and become incorporated into the genome mm-hmm. or into, into the, the, the um, cellular DNA. Um, and so, you know, they use this logical fallacy and, and to illustrate the fallacy, there was a study that was done, I think it was 2022, I think it was last year that it was published, might've been earlier than that. It's been a while. Um, but uh, there was a study where a, a lab study where they showed that the vaccine mRNA was reverse transcribed in, in human liver cells mm-hmm. um, to DNA. Now that study has been, we got to be careful because that study did not show, some people have misreported this and they, they've claimed that that study showed integration into the, the host DNA. That's not the case. They didn't go that far. Mm-hmm. Reverse transcription into DNA. They didn't go further and looked at the, to, they didn't ask, you know, does it then enter the cell nucleus and then does it become incorporated into the, to the cellular DNA? Mm-hmm. They didn't go that far. So um, it's not correct to say that that study showed that this integration occurs. However, it, what it did is to illustrate the fallacy of, of the arguments being used by the CDC at Al. Um, and also, and one other claim that they had made was that the, the, uh, the mRNA from the vaccines and the spike protein that it causes your cells to produce are eliminated within days. This was the claim that it's rapidly eliminated from your body and it's eliminated within days. But there's numerous studies now showing persistence of both mRNA and spike um, not for days, not even weeks, not it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's so far months. And this most recent study um, found spike protein um, circulating at six months. And that was just, mm-hmm. it wasn't like that it wasn't like the maximum. It was just like, that was the last point at which they looked. <laughs> um, and I think it was something like 50% of the samples that they looked at, mm-hmm. at six, uh, or, or no, uh, not at six months between, I think it was, between some time period, I forget the, the early time period, but like four to six months, something like that, that, uh, that it, like half of the blood samples had spike protein still within that range up to six months. Yeah. And what that means is that it could last longer than six months. It, it could persist longer than that. So that's not like a maximum. It was just, that was the, the latest time point that they looked. So six months, some, um, some people still have the spike protein in uh, circulating in, in their blood. Now, why would that be? Well, that's the big question. And the, the study authors um, offered three hypotheses that would help to explain it. Um, one, I don't understand, to, to be honest. And, and But they had said that that was, was quite unlikely. That was their opinion that, that, that it was highly in, kind of improbable, which left the other two hypotheses that I, that I do understand, which at least to, to, to a well enough extent, which were um, both involved integration of the mRNA into host to DNA. In one case, the, the human host, mm-hmm. it, it could be that the people are still generating spike protein because the mRNA got incorporated into their cellular DNA. Or the alternative, the, the, the third hypothesis was um, that the mRNA got integrated into bacterial DNA. Um, and so these bacteria become generators of the spike protein, I guess, is, is what that hypothesis is suggesting. Either way, the, the, the two plausible, most more plausible hypotheses that they proposed both in, involved incorporation of the vaccine mRNA into host DNA, whether the host be ourselves, the human host, or our microbiome. Oh, good heavens. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been nice if they had done, you know, some studies instead of doing, you know, this and, and, and another kind of somewhat recent 
um, revelation that is kind of like recent now. It's been quite a few months now. But um, another thing is that it's not even necessarily required for the mRNA to become reverse transcribed into DNA and then into the cell nucleus and then incorporate into host DNA because uh, it's, it's been discovered that uh, at least with the Pfizer vaccine, I'm not sure about Moderna yet, but the Pfizer vaccine uh, is is contaminated with um, with DNA from with the manufacturing the process. Yeah. And so so <laughs> nice. there you have it. So there you, you, you yeah. don't need, you know, the whole argument about how well it's mRNA and then, which doesn't enter the cell nucleus is yeah. there goes that whole argument. Uh, nobody is looking at this within any of these entities. All this information you're providing to me is, is coming up through independent researchers, isn't it? Independent labs or perhaps other nations that are there are other, uh, there was a study, Highwire presented some Japanese studies looking at the different variants. And I don't fully understand it. It was looking at like the genetic footprint and it was looking as if every variant was likely also lab derived <laughs> just because of the patterns that it made. And it, I, again, I don't fully understand that. I'll have to bring somebody on to explain it. And that was done in Japan, but I don't know if that was um, Japanese government scientists or independent scientists, but um, it's just absurd that our nation would um, push all of these on everybody and yet not be do lifting a finger, spending a dime to research exactly, well, you know, okay. So they said, we're gonna do this at warp speed. We're gonna do this really fast. You know, we have to do it because people are dropping dead and we gotta get it out there, which is absurd. But, um, but that time is over. So why aren't they slowing down and doing the studies that they said they didn't have time to do before? You know, and, but it's, they're leaving it to the independent researchers who are they're, they're going to ignore as they always have. And what everybody's figuring out is that um, the whole yeah, system. At, at this point, it's been quite a long time since st studies really showed clearly that, yeah. that the claim that the mRNA and the spike protein are eliminated within days is false. And yet the CDC to this day mm -hmm. continues to claim that that, 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 it's rapidly eliminated from the body the same way they do with aluminum and mercury right yeah it's the same lie that it will it's just rapidly eliminated from the body which they know i mean you can go and look mm -hmm. up the cdc's on their webpage. you know about thimerosal yeah and you go and look at their sources and one of them is a study showing actually that that ethyl mercury the form of mercury in the vaccines that the cdc says is non-toxic and mm -hmm. is rapidly eliminated from the body you look at their own source and they show that ethyl mercury is more persistent in the brain than methyl mercury which is mercury from that you find in contaminated fish, right? So yeah. Like their own sources, like the, the CDC is like literally citing sources that say the opposite of what the CDC is citing the sources to support. Right. So that's, I mean, if, if anybody learns anything from this program, it's, it's that don't trust the marketing messages that's put out by the CDC, the FDA, the EPA, your health department, Pfizer, anybody, or even Jeremy and Bernadette, right? Go read the sources, you know, go see what they have to say to see if what they said matches what they, what they're claiming supports it because holy cow, I once did this presentation out in Washington state to the, oh, it was, uh, it was to a health committee. And I don't remember which bill in particular that I was fighting 
but they CDC used to have this page and they took it down where they're frequently asked questions for parents, right? And one of the questions was, aren't some of the ingredients in vaccines toxic? And they and their reason was that, um, well, many um, medicines and things that we use today do contain ingredients that in large amounts are toxic for it, but they have therapeutic benefits. For instance, Botox. And they gave Botox as the example. And so, you know, I, that's one of the, I'm reading this off to this committee and then I, and then I'm reading off the lawsuits for Botox, you know, um, how many times they've been sued, people been crippled, they can't swallow, they've been killed by this stuff, it travels all, you know, I mean, it's just, this is a not safe product. And I'm like, and so the CDC is looking at Botox manufacturers as their role model for why it's okay to, to inject dangerous things in human beings. I mean, it's so absurd. And the other thing they said was, if vaccines cause long-term health issues in children, um, we would know it. We're not studying it because it would be unethical to do a vax unvax study. So we're not studying it, but by gosh, we'd know it if they were we'd be able right. to tell. <laughs> yeah, they have that argument. Well, <laughs> because they, they have this statement, right? Like vaccines have been administered mil to millions of people over many decades. So this is how we know they're safe. It's like, well, okay, well, millions of people smoke cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Back in yeah. the day when we were told that yeah, cigarettes yeah. are safe, right? Well, millions of people had been smoking them. Yeah. It, you know, like it's, it's absurd, like the arguments that they use. And this is the thing, you know, you just got to like, you learn to recognize when you're seeing a logical yeah. fallacy, right? And and you, the point about checking sources, yes, check my sources. That's why I give you the sources. Yeah. Because I mean, this is like half of my articles. I swear, that's yeah. what I do. Is like I go and I'll read a New York yeah. Times article and then I'll check the Times' sources, mm -hmm. and then I'll go and I'll show how the, the the sources cited like contradict what's being said. Yeah. You know, like I swear, half my articles are uh, that's like the formula, <laughs> because it's it's just. It's you would be amazed like if you did this habitually, like, habitually like I do, and like I'm constantly doing this. Like if you go and you check sources, mm -hmm. you, you will just be your mind will be blown at how frequently you'll find that the sources either don't support the claim right. for which they're cited or d directly contradict the claim. Yeah, a amen to that exactly. And so if you want to live an informed life, you know, you just you, you got to dig deep. You got to you got to do the time, and you got to trust your instincts. You know, as human beings on this planet, trust, you know, if something feels wrong, it probably is. <laughs> right. Yeah. You get that spider sense, right? That tingling. Yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> when, when you have a question, when you read something and it's just like you, you, you're you skeptical and you, you yeah. take that skepticism, take that gut feeling and go with it yeah. because that's 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 your intuitive sense telling you something's not, not right. An yeah. example off the top of my head, you know, like when, when they say, oh, well, so-and-so said this. But they yeah. don't show a quote of that person actually saying that and they don't yeah. provide a link so you can go and check and see what that quote was yeah and to check to make sure it's not being used out of context right yeah it's like well that's a huge red flag that the person didn't actually say that yeah and it's it, it's just a straw man argument and this uh, actually that one of my other articles you know I've written a, a number this year on uh the media's attacks on on bobby kennedy Oh, yeah. That's one of the things they'll do, you know, um, you know, like the New York Times constantly saying, well, he was at that rally in Washington where he he said that, you know, unvaccinated Americans during the lockdowns had it worse than 
than Jews during the Holocaust. That's not what he said. I was That's there. Not what he said. That's <laughs> yeah. not even even remotely close to no. what he actually said. No. And yet no. they they repeat this in article after article after article, right. and it's a brazen, blatant lie. Right. Well, the during the censorship um, hearings that Congress did, where they they brought in Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, and 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 he was just being attacked by some of the Democrat legislators and wouldn't let him respond. And they were completely twisting. There was this video of him at a dinner and he was just stating the scientific evidence was showing that there are certain people of a certain genetic background. I don't remember exactly what they were, but that didn't seem to be as susceptible of this lab created virus as other groups of people, he was citing the scientific evidence. Right. And, and, but the gal grilling him was saying, no, 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 that's not what you said. It you were, and then just calling him a racist for daring to make, it's like, he didn't make the shot or the, um, he didn't make the spike protein. He didn't make this virus. He's just stating, I mean, and it's always been the case, yep. even with natural uh, viruses and infections that, you know, you'd have certain cultures or races um, if race is even such a thing, but genetic susceptibility, right, to right. infection and others not, but they wouldn't let it, him explain it. It just it just got warped. So you had to actually go watch the full thing. Right. You know, that's another perfect example that I've, I've written about it, it, where the New York like the New York Times was saying, you know, I don't know if it, I think it was their headline, if not like the lead paragraph. And it, it was saying that, you know, how Robert F. Kennedy Jr., claimed that the 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 that SARS-CoV-2 was engineered to spare Jews. And you go and watch what he actually said and he like literally explicitly said, yeah. "We don't know if it was deliberately engineered this way or not." But but <laughs> this is what the data shows about who's but, getting it. And he was and talking about the ACE2 receptor because yeah. we all, you know, this is the, the the spike protein, this is how the virus enters the cells. It it, it binds with the ACE2 receptor. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's talking about how different people have different genetics and so they have different expression of ACE2 mm -hmm. and in this he was citing a study showing how um, uh, Ashkenazi Jews and also um, East Asians um, ex express have an expression of ACE2 that, that, that they hypothesized meant that they might be less susceptible um, to, to COVID-19. So, you know, plausible, there was plausibility. And then, and I was in researching that, I, I found another study that kind of came the other way on it. And it specifically mentioned how Ashkenazi Jews might be more susceptible yeah. due to their ACE2 receptor. So obviously it's a controversial area, but the point is there's, what's not controversial is that there's such a thing as genetic susceptibility. Yes. <laughs> and right, so for him right. to say that, you know, there's studies suggesting this is, is you know, to call yeah. that racist is, is just anti-intellectualism. Um, yeah. Oh, this the spin on everything, you know, for political purposes. And, you know, it's just more and more um, needing to not pay attention to the noise out there and just get back into the real world, engage in your own community, you know, go to local meetings, talk with your neighbors and just kind of figure out what's real and what's not. Um just based on your own personal experiences, because this this noise and this noise is only going to get worse as technology more and more is feeding everything at us. And it's it's really scary to think what they could be putting at you without your knowledge or consent. Um, 
in, in many different ways. Now, I'm really intrigued by this, and I didn't get a chance to read this one, Jeremy. You have got an article entitled, The Criminal Organization in Washington, DC. Oh, I see it was an interview that you did. So tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, and I, I did, there's kind of a little article that goes along with the interview, because you know a lot, of, a lot of times I like to like summarize in, mm -hmm. in text what the interview was for people who might prefer to just kind of read a summary than to, to listen um, or to watch. Uh, so there's kind of an article that goes along with that. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, so I was on um, Bruce DeTorres uh, on his show on TNT Radio, and um, and he, he wanted to talk to me about kind of about my whole journalism career, uh, mm -hmm. you know, going back to, you know, my work on foreign policy, how I got started. So, I, you know, we got to talk a little bit about foreign policy matters um, and and also, you know, got into a little bit about the role of the Federal Reserve, things like this. And, and I was kind of making the point that I've covered a lot of topics, kind of a, a broad, diverse range of topics over my writing career um but the 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 common denominator the 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 thing that's similar throughout all of them is that it, it no matter what the topic is that i'm writing about basically what i'm doing is exposing uh criminal policies you know going back to the iraq war yeah just in exposing yeah. the lies that were told to start a, a criminal an illegal war of aggression the supreme international crime as defined at nuremberg and was opposing mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with the economy and, and the role of the Federal Reserve System and central banks essentially exist to affect a, an upwards transfer of wealth from yeah. we, the masses and the, the poor and the middle class up to the uh, political and financial elites. That is the purpose of central banking. Mm -hmm. And the means by which yeah. it occurs is inflationary monetary policy, which is basically imposes a, what, you know, is we all heard the term, the hidden tax of inflation. Mm -hmm. um, and there's something called the, the Cantillon effect, where it is a known thing in economics, where essentially, you know, the people who receive that money first, because, of course, uh, you know, it's not as though when the Fed prints money, you know, quote, you know, metaphorically speaking, they don't don't print most of the money. It's mostly just digital. Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, when they when they print, when they make new money and they create new currency, new dollars, it's not as though they just, you know, like it goes out to everyone. And we all just kind of get this showering of new money, um, you know. It, so it's so what they'll they have this gimmick where they'll say, "Oh, well, look at CPI. There's there's low inflation." Like they they did, did this, you know, during the whole run up of the housing bubble, the whole mm -hmm. time, and saying, "Well, inflation is low. We don't have anything to worry about." Um, and but the thing is, is is it, you know, it goes into it's it goes into the financial sectors first. It goes into asset classes first. So you'll see inflation in in housing. You'll see stocks. That's all price inflation too. Mm -hmm. So we need to consider that. Um, and, and of course, you know, the people who receive the newly printed dollars can go out and buy these assets before the resulting increase in general prices of, for consumer goods. Right. And so they, they're able to benefit from this inflationary monetary policy while everyone else is hurt in their pocketbooks because the dollars that they earned yesterday can't buy as much yeah. tomorrow as they yeah. do today. So um, it, it, that's why it's referred to as a hidden tax. Yeah. Um, this is how this upwards transfer of wealth is affected. So we got to talk about that. Um, and, and so, you know, that's another example of a criminal policy. It, it's criminal. Mm -hmm. it's, it's theft. It's fraud. In fact, you know, the whole banking system is, is, is uh, grounded in, in this idea of legalized counterfeiting. <laughs> if, you, if you or I were to do what the Federal Reserve does and, and yeah. the Federal Reserve banking system does, we, we would be thrown in prison. But they're allowed to do it. It's um, just everything it's has gotten a legislated private monopoly over the over the currency supply. Yeah, everything has just gotten government has gotten too big, 
and too many people with no responsibility for the outcome of their actions. And, you know, so there, there's just so much to do to like reverse things and bring things down. I mean, I am hopeful. There's a lot of stuff I don't understand. I've got my little narrow of rabbit holes that I've gone down. I'm glad there's individuals like you who, um, you know, you get into the economics at one, my, my brain just starts to blur a little bit when it gets to the economics. I just know that, you know, it's a lot more expensive to go buy the food that I've always bought. Yeah. Um, you know, what I'd like to do here for a few minutes, because I never leave enough time, I want next to look at the upcoming uh, conference in Savannah, Georgia in November, this uh, second annual CHD conference, and it's called Rise and Resist. Because, you know, we've been talking about this great work you've been doing, Jeremy, going down the rabbit hole, exposing the lies, the misinformation, the, the criminal uh, propaganda. But we want to leave people on a hopeful note because, by gum, the entire world is, is waking up, has woken up, and some amazing people have stepped forward. And I really feel like this um, conference in Atlanta this fall, not Atlanta, sorry, Savannah this fall, is going to be this great opportunity for all of us to get together and find that community, you know, to give all of us hope. Are you going to be able to make this one? This is the first time I'm, I'm learning of it, actually. Oh, so I'm, I'm, I, I'm okay. anxious to, to see what this is about. Oh, good. Well, let me tease you with some of the amazing people. Let's look at the speakers going to be there. So first of all, Bobby Kennedy's going to be there, which is wonderful. We've got Catherine Austin Fitz. Do you follow her, the Solari Report? About the I, I don't get the Solari Report, but I'm familiar with, with her. You, mm -hmm. going ages back, I was, I was reading a lot of her articles. Yeah, yeah. so I'm familiar with her. Uh, I love their slogan, make cash great again. Um, yeah. And I need to be to do better. I'm heading in that direction. Haven't fully got there yet, but it is challenging, you know, because credit cards are so convenient. Um, you know, the cardiologist Asim Malhotra will be there. The wonderful Dr. Andrew Wakefield, um, Dr. Brian Hooker. And then the, I'm really excited. Suzanne Humphreys. I haven't seen her in yes, so yes, yes. long. Did you ever get, get the opportunity to meet Suzanne? I haven't. No, we haven't met. No. She is wonderful. I think she's been living in New Zealand, if I um, am re remembering accurately. She's a former, um, well, she's a doctor of in, uh, internal medicine, nephrologist, and she was working with kidney patients who were coming to her saying that my kidneys were fine until I got that flu shot way back, like in early yeah. 2000s. And that sent her down the rabbit hole. And then she hit, just hit a wall of, you know, the hospital systems and, and nobody would listen to her. And it, it, it was just amazing. And she wrote, of course, the famous book, um, Dissolving Illusions, you know, about the history of polio and smallpox and sort of how it, it's the beginnings of how we got where we are. And she's been really quiet through all of this COVID stuff. And I'm so thrilled for Dr. Humphreys. And so for those of you who are like, okay, give me solutions, Bernadette, you're always throwing problems out there. Dr. Suzanne Humphreys comes up with solutions. Like she has come up with a vitamin C protocol for whooping cough, for pertussis. Um, and she's got that published. And so I, I'd love to hear what her thoughts on everything going on, her medical opinion about, you know, how to prevent and treat 
viral infections moving forward. I'm excited to, that she's going to be there. And then the wonderful um, uh, Mary Holland, of course, who's the president of Children's Health Defense, chief legal counsel, I believe, too. Uh, Laura Bono, uh, vice president. Kim Mac Rosenberg, wonderful. Oh, she's general counsel uh, for Children's Health Defense. Sabine Hazan, gastroenterologist and medical researcher. Christina Parks, uh, I just love her. She's very brilliant molecular biologist. Paul Thomas, who you have a book on. Uh, tell everybody about your, your wonderful book about um, Dr. Paul. Sure, it's called The War on Informed Consent, The Persecution of Dr. Paul Thomas by the Oregon Medical Board. And it, it tells his story um, of, of, of that persecution and how the medical board started going after him after the publication of his book, The Vaccine Friendly Plan which kind of proposed an alternative uh, course of action to, to, follow, to strictly following the CDC's schedule that got him in trouble. Um, they started going after him um, and uh, eventually they demanded that he produce uh, peer-reviewed evidence to support his alternative approach, his alternative approach being to respect parents' right to make their own informed choices mm -hmm. and it, where he views his role as simply providing them with the information that they need, they, they need to be able to make an informed choice and then letting mm -hmm. them make the choice as opposed to pushing them and saying, no, you need to do these vaccines. You need to follow the CDC schedule. Um, and if you don't, you're not allowed to come into my practice. Like what happened to us, we got booted from a pediatric practice. So he's, he's not one of the bullies. Mm -hmm. And yet that's what he was accused of. And so he, he did, he, he got together with Dr. James Lyons-Weiler and, uh, and produced a study using his patients de-identified data showing um, quite clearly how the, his completely unvaccinated patients were quite clearly the healthiest children in his practice. Yes. And and okay. then within days of that study being published, the medical board had an emergency meeting and emergently suspended his license. Mm -hmm. And I go through their case and, and it's not, you know, it, it does tell his story and it's an important story and an inspiring yes. story to me personally. Um, but it's not just about Dr. Paul Thomas. It goes, it's no. much bigger than that. It, it's, it's kind of like a glimpse into the war on informed consent, because yeah. what's happening is they're going after like doctors who enable parents, because of course, the first thing that they do is, is um, prevent parents from being able to exercise informed choice by eliminating mm -hmm. uh, medical ex or, uh, exemptions, you know, um, mm -hmm. so that they only have medical exemptions. And it, like, like in California, you can only get a medical exemption by meeting like one of the CDC's you know, contraindications, which is, right. just so, you basically so narrow. have to have died from the shot before right. you say you're medically exempt. Right, right. It's absurd. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's completely yeah. unscientific. Yeah. Um, so that's the first course of action is to, to not to deny parents exemptions. And then the second course of action for the, the doctors who, who do their duty and are ethical doctors and they practice ethically and, and they enable parents to exercise informed consent by giving them choice. Mm -hmm. um, in, in writing or maybe in writing medical exemptions, things like this, um, then, then the states are going after those doctors and penalizing yeah. doctors. So it, it yeah. is a war on our, our right to informed consent. And it, Dr. Dr. Thomas's story just happens to kind of encapsulate that risk and that threat to all of us. And he has stood mm -hmm. up for us, yes, me, parents, and, and not only parents, to all of us. I mean, like we've seen them go, they're going, pre-COVID, you know, a lot of us were saying they're going to be coming after the adults next. Yeah, yeah. And oh, and, and they are. <laughs> and so this, this fantastic study that was published and just very popular, downloaded and, and referred to so many times, um, one anonymous complaint 
and it was retracted. And um, so we've got right now, it just was put up by, hey, Javier Figueroa, my uh, sometimes co-host. Thank you, Javier. He is starting a change.org petition. So it's change.org, just search for Stop Scientific Censorship. The full title of this uh, petition is Stop Scientific Censorship Via the Back Door, Hold Journals Accountable. Um, and they're going to try to get enough um, energy and signatures on here to petition to get um, that study unretracted and republished because, you know, it, we must stand up when there's injustice. We, we have got to stand up and, and make noise. We just can't say, oh, you can't fight it. No, we do fight it. Would, would you like me to summarize the retraction as briefly yes. as I can? Yes. Um, and so I, just so people understand what happened and why this is an important petition, I've, I've already signed it. I saw Dr. James Lyons-Weiler sharing it the other day on his Substack, and I, as soon as I saw that, I ran off and read it and, and signed the petition myself. Um, so what happened was, yeah, so that study that, that I was talking about where, where they clearly showed that, that the children um, who are completely unvaccinated just had much better health outcomes, you know, much lower mm -hmm. incidence of, of all kinds of health conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they, they had two approaches in the study. One was to kind of use a typical old-fashioned method of looking at odds ratios of incidence of diagnosis. So yes or no, was, did, the child have a, did the child ever receive X diagnosis? Um, and so what they did is they went further and they kind of developed a whole new measurement, uh, which they called um, relative incidence of office visits. And so this gives a, gives a lot more information because it wasn't just like, does the child have a diagnosis of X condition? It's, it's does the child have a diagnosis and how, frequent, how frequently were they in the office? How, how frequently did they have to seek health care for that condition? So it's much more information because it tells you more. It tells you not just like yes, no, that the child had a diagnosis, but what's the severity? Like mm -hmm. how serious is it? Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it just made a lot of sense for them to do that. And yet that that was the, one of the criticisms in this anonymously written letter was that they used a new unvalidated metric. <laughs> but if you if you think about that, so a study should be retracted because it used a new mm -hmm. method. A new method that was uh, peer reviewed. It went through very. Yeah, it went through peer review, review past peer right. review, and yeah. uh, <laughs> right. And so, so because they used a new method, so so okay, so nothing that it, it involves any kind of scientific progress can ever be published. Then, yeah. So oh yeah, absurd. no, nothing new. And then yeah. the, second, the second thing was that they they claimed that um that the argument was made that that the the results shown and there's a really stark graph in that in that paper showing you know the un, the the variably vaccinated versus unvaccinated, completely mm -hmm. unvaccinated, that health outcomes for a broad range of conditions. Yeah. Um, and, and the argument was made that that's uh, not, a, a, it's just a statistical artifact of the fact that, you know, un parents who don't vaccinate their kids just don't care as much for their kids' health. And so they don't take their kids in to see the doctor. And so they're just as sick as vaccinated kids. It's just that parents don't realize it because their children are never diagnosed. Oh, that's so absurd. It, it, which is, besides being yeah. completely condescending to yeah. <laughs> those of us who don't vaccinate our children, yeah. um, you know, yeah. it, it's just absurd. Mm -hmm. You know, and, mm -hmm. and it, it, it's even more absurd because they included in the study, they actually included, they, pre, they had 
known that that argument was going to be made that, yeah. it's, that it's a difference in healthcare seeking behaviors. Yeah. So they actually used a control in the study to, to, to show, and what they did is they compared rates of fever, relative incidence of office visits for fever versus well child visits. Mm -hmm. And whereas, yeah, sure enough, the vaccinated kids had many more visits for, for fever, as we would expect. Yeah. So known adverse event and no known exactly. consequence of vaccination. And yet yeah. for the well child visits, guess what? The unvaccinated kids were there for every well check for the well yeah. child visits. And then after the retraction, um, Dr. Jack went back um, with with Dr. Blaylock, Russell Blaylock, and, and did a follow-up analysis mm -hmm. showing and doing numerous additional analyses showing that that this is not an outcome of, of uh, differences in healthcare seeking behavior because it's just not true that the parents of unvaccinated kids didn't go in for the routine checkups. It's just not mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, thank you so much for that explanation. I know that you would know that you this is very personal too. It's to me. He, I consider him a friend. He's awesome. So um, go to that uh, change.org petition. We'll have a link on our Substack, and we're down to the last minute and so i won't be able to share anymore but go check out all the amazing speakers james linesweiler is going to be there and dr thomas so you can hear in person these things and there's so many other healers and and just so many people in our movement go find your tribe go uh get hope and um and then you're going to leave that inspired to know that we're going to do this right jeremy we're going to pull this thing off and, and take back this great nation um, of ours so jeremy thank you for being my guest and my co-host today it was such a pleasure to have you on the show your website is jeremyrhammond.com yeah. so okay. thank um, you for inviting me to, to participate in this with you and have oh, this discussion you bet. I really enjoyed it. So you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM, KKNW, and CHDTV. We'll be back next week. Hi, I'm Brad Dacus, President and Founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PJI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PJI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.